everybody, and welcome back to the second episode of the Carolina Talk Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Jacob Turner, and wish we were speaking on better terms today, but unfortunately last night, Carolina football team went down to Miami Gardens, Florida, and unfortunately coming back to Chapel Hill with a 47-10 to loss that puts our program in a similar position to what we've seen over the past couple years, not being able to beat Power 5 teams, not really competing on the biggest stage. Last night, obviously, nationally televised game on ESPN, and North Carolina goes down there and, to put it simply, just doesn't play well, just doesn't play a, a complete football game in any facet of it. And um, like I said, coming back home with a 37-point loss, sitting at 1-3 on the season right now, and Obviously, we're going to talk about that game. That's what this episode is mostly going to be about. But I just want to first and foremost touch on the state of the program right now. Obviously, the past two seasons have have not been what most Carolina football fans have wanted. It's been a tough little run for for a program that in 2015 was in an ACC championship game. And if it wasn't for a bad penalty call on an onside kick, would have had a, a chance at at least taking the game to overtime and maybe winning it. So it's been a tough couple of seasons under Larry Fedora and his staff. This football team is is definitely underperformed, and and it's been definitely tough to watch over the past season and a half or so. So, just want to say real quick though, we touched on it in the last podcast a little bit. A lot of Carolina fans, I was at the pit game. Obviously, the home opener this season was supposed to be Central Florida game, but obviously Hurricane Florence put that game on hold, and hopefully, we'll get another game rescheduled by the end of the season. But home opener against Pitt last week, and one thing I touched on was the fact that there were not a ton of Carolina fans at that game. And with the Virginia Tech game coming up after the bye week, Carolina coming off a, a blowout loss in Miami, I'm, I'm a little bit scared that that game's going to have even less of a crowd. And the way Virginia Tech fans travel, there might be more Virginia Tech fans in attendance than Carolina fans, and wouldn't that just be embarrassing? But I want to say real quick, stick behind the program. Stick with the program. I don't care if you agree with the coaching staff. I don't care if you want Larry Fedora in or you want Larry Fedora out. Like we said in the last episode, these players every single day, regardless of the outcome of the game, work their butts off in practice and games to represent this program in the best way possible. So keep supporting. I hope there's a ton of fans. I'll be at the Virginia Tech game. I hope there's a ton of fans out there at the Virginia Tech game. Obviously, two weeks before that game will be played at Keenan Stadium. Probably looking at a noon kickoff, looking at how our season's gone. But nonetheless, the main thing I just want to say is keep supporting this football team no matter what. Keep supporting the players. Like I said, I don't care what your opinions are on the coaching staff. More than importantly and more than anything, continue to support the players. But going into the Miami game, obviously a 47-10 loss for the Tar Heels and was a tough game to watch for, for most of it from a, from a Tar Heel perspective. Um, it's actually a really funny game if you think about it. If you look statistically and compare UNC and Miami's offensive yards Miami with 354 total yards of offense and North Carolina with 329 so obviously looking at this game if you're just looking at the offensive box score you're going to look at those total yards and think this game's pretty close but unfortunately it wasn't and the biggest takeaway and the biggest reason that this game wasn't close was the fact that Carolina had six turnovers and that was Miami's first time forcing six turnovers in an ACC game since a win over NC State in 2012 so Been a while. Obviously, six turnovers don't happen a lot in a game. But the fact of the matter is, if you have six turnovers as an offense, you're going to lose a game. I don't care what opponent you're playing. You can play anybody in the country. Talent-wise, doesn't matter. You're going to lose a game if you have six turnovers nine times out of ten and probably 10 times out of 10. So that was the biggest thing from a box score standpoint that I was shocked to see was the fact that Carolina's offense put up similar numbers to Miami. But the fact of the matter was Carolina had six turnovers. Obviously, Chad Surratt with three interceptions, 
Two of those were taken to the house for pick sixes. And Nathan Elliott has two fumbles, and one of them gets returned for a touchdown. So was not a good performance by either quarterback. Obviously, Nathan Elliott and Chaz Surratt splitting reps for the most part in last night's game. And um, make no mistakes about it. This is a Miami team that has the number two total defense in the country right now. And they're averaging 11.5 tackles per loss per game, which is number one in the country right now as well. So this is a good Miami defense that's for the most part, played really well all season besides the opening weekend blowout loss to LSU. But there's three things that I took away from last night's game, three big takeaways offensively that I want to touch on in today's podcast. And first one, don't think anybody would argue with this. The QB play has been the biggest issue for the Tar Heels this season. Obviously, Chas Surratt was suspended for the first four games, only turned out to be the first three games because of that the UCF game being rescheduled. But Nathan Elliott started the game last night, started well. Went Carolina started off on their first drive, marching straight down the field and get to the red zone in Miami's uh, Miami territory and can't capitalize and end up having to kick a field goal. Game's 3 nothing. Next drive, Miami marches down the field in very quick fashion and scores a touchdown. And North Carolina was behind for the rest of the game. So guess you can't take away the fact that Carolina did have a lead in this game at one point, but that seems like a long time ago looking back at last night's game and how it eventually all went down. But Nathan Elliott's stat line, 16 for 25, 104 yards. That's 4.2 passing yards per attempt. And then Chaz Surratt, 4 for 10, only threw for 10 yards, 1 yard per attempt, and that ugly stat line of 3 picks. So both quarterbacks, Elliott and Surratt, combining for 24 for 35, 114 yards, and only three yards per pass. So you see, I was, if you were following my Twitter, obviously, please go and follow. I mentioned this in the first podcast as well. Going to mention this in everyone going forward, but please go follow my Twitter at Carolina Talk Pod. Again, that's at Carolina Talk Pod. Be updating y'all with a ton of stats, with a, with a ton of information, with my thoughts on the game, especially during games. I was live tweeting last night for a majority, if not all of the, of the game. And one of the things I was happy with was with the fact when Surratt came in because that first drive that Chaz Surratt came in obviously Nathan Elliott fumbling that ball um, early on in the game leading to a Miami touchdown on the next drive not surprisingly Surratt comes in the ball game for Elliott that's one thing we touched on in the Miami preview in the last episode was the fact that don't be surprised to see Chaz Surratt given an opportunity in this game especially if Nathan Elliott makes a big mistake which he did Chaz Surratt came in the game and really led the Tar Heels down the field. A lot of that was done on his legs, and he ends up ends up scoring a running touchdown. Chaz Surratt, nine carries for 69 yards. That's seven yards per carry, eight yard, almost eight yards per carry. So Chaz Surratt, with his legs, looked decent last night. The problem was is he flat out just couldn't throw. Ten yards is just comical in a lot of ways. The fact that Chaz Surratt played just as much as Nathan Elliott in that game, if not more, and ended up throwing for only 10 yards is is simply not good enough for a Division One level quarterback in Ch- that Chaz Surratt, or I think Chaz Surratt is. I think Chaz Surratt has the potential to be a really decent quarterback for North Carolina, but over the past two seasons, he just hasn't shown it. And last night, it was another dilemma between the two quarterbacks because why Elliott threw for over 100 yards, didn't have a good stat line. The fact of the matter is, looking at his stats, 104 yards on 25 attempts, 16 of those completions, Elliott's not throwing the ball downfield. A lot of his passes are screen passes. A lot of his passes are short passes that aren't really going for big yards. The only reason Nathan Elliott threw for over 300 yards in the pit game was the fact that his receivers were getting downfield and making big plays. I can only remember Nathan Elliott throwing about three deep balls last week. Two of those were 
10, 15 yards, which is not really a deep ball. It's really considered an intermediate pass between 10 and 20 yards. So the fact that Nathan Elliott can't throw the deep ball is something I've always harped on with him and what I think really makes him not be a quarterback at the power five level. I don't think he has the ability to throw the deep ball and he's shown that all season. And even last season, I remember he had a few deep ball plays, but if you look at any of Nathan Elliott's deep balls, especially this season, they're all underthrown. Most of his deep ball throws are dead. Anthony Ratliff-Williams, who goes up and makes a spectacular catch over a defender. So he's certainly not helping himself with the fact that he just simply cannot throw the deep ball. And I I don't want to sit on here and harp and hate on Nathan Elliott because I have nothing but respect and admiration for what Nathan Elliott does. The fact that he's worked so hard his whole life to get to the ACC level and the fact that he was able to get a scholarship at, at Carolina shows that he is a good quarterback and has the ability to play the position. And I, I want to touch on his leadership capabilities because when he went out yesterday, he didn't put his head down. He stayed ready. He kept cheering on his teammates. And um, you got to respect Elliott for that. But the fact of the matter is, Elliott didn't play good enough yesterday. Surratt certainly played good, didn't play good enough yesterday. And that ultimately was the, my first biggest issue with Carolina's offensive performance. It's tough to compete, especially in the ACC, when you don't have a quarterback that is capable of really just throwing the ball. Because when Surratt comes in, he ends up throwing three picks and only had four completions. So three of his 10 attempts ended up being picks, two of those being pick sixes. Surratt was making poor decisions with the ball. He was looking at his first read. If his first read wasn't open, he didn't really care. He was still throwing it either in traffic or he was going to try to make something happen with his feet. He looked nervous in the pocket. He looked like he didn't really have a good pocket presence and he wasn't aware of what was going on around him. The one thing I will say about Chaz Surratt is that his ability to use his feet can really bail this Carolina offense out at times if he can find some kind of passing attack. If Surratt can't find a passing attack, he's simply not a good quarterback. If a quarterback can't throw the football, then I don't even know why he's playing quarterback. The quarterback's main job is to throw the football. Chas Surratt simply didn't do that last night. I will give him a pass, though, in this game. I thought he obviously, and I'm sure he'd agree with this, played very poorly. But the fact of the matter is he hasn't really played football in over a year, especially with that suspension, or not over a year, close to a year, especially with that suspension for selling the tennis shoes, which was 100% certainly his fault. But I'm anxious to see how he performs in the Virginia Tech game because I think you'll see Surratt get a majority of the snaps in that game, especially coming into a bye week. He's going to have about two weeks to get reps with the ones. If you don't know, Chad Surratt this whole season has been running with the scout team, so hasn't really had a lot of time to work with the ones. Still needs to get back in that little bit of a rhythm, but if he comes out against Virginia Tech and plays anywhere reminiscent of how he played last night, you're not going to see Chad Surratt anymore. It's either going to be Nathan Elliott or hopefully a Cade Fortin, a Jace Ruder, maybe even a Manny Miles at this point. Because right now, Carolina simply has no quarterback that has proven that, one, they can take care of the ball and that they can consistently deliver passes to the weapons like Anthony Ratliff-Williams, Daz Newsom, even Michael Carter out of the backfield. Carolina has some good receivers. Thomas Jackson, um, Antoine Green as well, the freshman. Uh, You also got the likes of Bo Corrales, who came back and was really quiet last night. So Carolina has weapons on offense, but right now, they don't have anybody to get it to them. And if you don't have anybody to throw you the ball, you're really going to find it hard to make things happen offensively. So first big takeaway, Carolina's QB play is still up in the air, and quite frankly, they don't have a quarterback who's proven anything this season. Second takeaway offensively was that the running game was good early on, and then for some reason, the offense stopped giving the ball to the likes of Michael Carter, the likes of Antonio Williams. Michael Carter had a really good first half, um, seven carries for 75 yards total in the game, and then ends up getting zero touches in the second half. He was averaging 11 yards per carry when he was getting the rock. Now, I will say this, I did hear rumors that Michael Carter may have had a concussion and suffered that on his last run, and that's why you didn't see him 
get any touches in the second half. Um, I hope that is true because it is completely inexcusable the fact that Michael Carter did not touch the ball after halftime, especially with how good he was looking in the first half. It's not hard to see that Michael Carter is a great running back. Michael Carter has the ability to make people miss. He rarely gets tackled on the first hit, and he runs really patiently and really hard at the same time. So Michael Carter is a guy that especially as a sophomore, you'd love to have in your backfield. Any team in the ACC would love to have in the backfield. And he played really well in that first half last night. I remember him making some really good plays on the first drive last night against Miami. But nonetheless, I'm hoping the rumors, not for his sake, it's unfortunate that he would go out with a concussion. He should be back for Virginia Tech. But I'm hoping for the coaching staff's sake that that's the reason that Michael Carter didn't get any touches in the second half because it's completely inexcusable that if Michael Carter was healthy, he wasn't getting any touches. It just doesn't really make any sense. Unfortunately, Regardless of if Michael Carter had a concussion or not, there has been a consistent theme under Larry Fedora that I've noticed and a lot of fans that I sit with during games at Kenyon Stadium have noticed, and it's the fact that when something is going well for Carolina and Larry Fedora offensively, he rarely keeps doing it. There's a lot of times, I can remember countless times in games over the past three, four seasons where somebody has the hot hand. I remember, especially during Elijah Hood's career, Elijah Hood would have some great first quarters, some great second quarters, and then the second half would completely go missing. Coaching staff would not run plays for him. They would not give him the ball. And that's just completely inexcusable from a coaching staff's perspective. If somebody is hot in any sport, I don't care what you're playing, you keep giving them the ball. If a player is making plays, then why are you choosing not to let him get the ball and, and make things happen? So, it was unfortunate to see that. Um, Chas Surratt ended up with nine carries, 69 yards. That's about eight yards per carry. Ended up with a rushing TD, like we said, on his first drive of the game. Jonathan Sutton obviously came in in the, in the fourth quarter late on, uh, three carries for 24 yards. Thought he actually ran really hard, but obviously was mainly going up against Miami's second-team defense. Um, and then Antonio Williams didn't get a lot of touches last night either. Four carries for 24 yards, only averaging six yards per carry. One of the biggest problems, I think, last night was the fact that Carolina, especially in the first half, regardless if it was Antonio Williams or Michael Carter, ran the ball really well. And in the second half, they just got away from it. And to me, that's poor offensive play calling. That's poor coaching by the coaching staff at Carolina because Carolina was not struggling with running the ball. And we had did not have a quarterback who could throw the ball last night. It was quite that simple. A lot of receivers were not getting open, which we'll t- touch on in a second. But Carolina was running the ball so successfully that I am sitting here a little bit confused and was very confused and frustrated watching it last night why Carolina decided to stop running the ball. It just really doesn't make sense to me. When you got a hot hand like Michael Carter, when you got a hot, a, a really talented bruiser in Antonio Williams, if Miami's not stopping it, then keep handing the ball off. But with that, just, that just did not happen last night. And unfortunately, Larry Fedora and the, and the office of coaching staff decided to try to throw the ball with two quarterbacks that just haven't proven all season that they can really throw, especially not deep balls down the field. So was very, very unfortunate to see that Carolina was so successful in the running game early on and then completely went away from it. I'd love to get an explanation from Larry Fedora on that one. Um, no one really answered or excuse me, no one really asked him that question in the postgame interview last night. I was a little bit confused as to why not. Um, would love to have got his thoughts on it. We all know who Larry Fedora is in press conferences, though. We probably wouldn't have got too good of an answer out of him. But nonetheless, I think it's a very fair question to ask, especially from a fan's perspective, because it does get frustrating to watch. And then the third takeaway last night for me offensively was the fact that Carolina's receivers were really struggling to get open all night. It's been a theme that I've noticed really all season. Carolina has some really talented wide receivers, but they're right now, maybe besides the pit game, they're struggling to get open. And I think one of the biggest factors and one of the biggest reasons for that 
is the fact that Carolina really lacks a quarterback that can throw the deep ball. It's something we've touched on all season. It's something that the coaching staff knows and is aware of. So it makes it a lot easier for opposing team defenses to cover Carolina's wide receivers because they're saying, hey, look, Carolina's quarterback, whether it's Elliott or Surratt, have not proven to us that they can throw the deep ball. So all we have to do is guard five 10-yard passes and short little screen passes to the side. It makes it a lot easier as a cornerback and a safety to cover wide receivers where you don't have to worry about that guy, the speedster, going over the top for that catastrophic 40, 50-yard play. When you don't have a quarterback that can throw it, you know Carolina's not going to do it. So I I will say that that has a a lot to do with it, but still, Carolina has a lot of talented receivers. Anthony Ratliff-Williams is one of the best receivers in the ACC. Is one of the biggest playmakers in the ACC. Deami Brown is, is a speedster. I know he's a true freshman, but he's shown me enough this season. He, he's he, four games into his Carolina career is the point where you have to grow up and you have to start performing. Thomas Jackson has proven himself. Obviously, was injured last year, but when Mitchell Trubisky was here, Thomas Jackson had a heck of a year for North Carolina. He hasn't really done much this season. Then you got the likes of Daz Newsom, who against Pittsburgh played really well, and then last night was just kind of non-existent. So Carolina's receivers have struggled to get open. And while a lot of the blame can be put on the quarterback position, it still comes down to the fact that these guys are really talented and they, sh- they ha- just simply just have to give options to the quarterback. They simply have to give options short to Elliott and Surratt. And if they're not getting open, there's no one to throw to. And if there's no one to throw to as a quarterback, your offense is really, really going to struggle. So those are my three biggest takeaways from last night's game offensively. One, the QB play is still a huge issue. The running game was so good and then went completely non-existent because well we just stopped giving the ball off and then third the receivers are struggling to get open and a lot of that unfortunately has to do with the QB controversy that we have right now moving on to the defense three big big takeaways that I took away from last night's game biggest thing for me is the fact that this secondary is just so depleted and young right now with Miles Dorn and KJ Sales being out Obviously, Dorn warmed up last night, uh, has a knee injury right now. Should expect to see him in the Virginia Tech game. I think it was actually probably a smart move keeping him out of this game, giving him another week and a half to get ready for the Virginia Tech game at home. KJ Sales warmed up as well, but wasn't dressed out last night, uh, was just basically in his jersey and shorts. So, um, yeah, those are two huge losses for a Carolina defense that really hasn't shown anything this season anyway, maybe besides the California game where I think they performed really well. really well, And that was really the only time this season that they've had a healthy and full defense, not only because of injuries, but because of the suspensions as well. And Miles Dorn hasn't played since that game, went out in that game with the injury, haven't seen him since. And Carolina simply needs him in the secondary. This is a very, very young defense. This is a, a super young secondary specifically when you take Dorn and Sales out. I think Dorn is a really good leader, and I think he's a little bit of an underrated safety as well. While KJ Sales isn't an elite cornerback yet, he brings that energy. He plays very, very hard, and quite frankly, he's our best cornerback by far. Uh, Patrice Renee hasn't shown me enough in the past few seasons, and while he did some decent, okay things last night, still hasn't performed to the to the capabilities that I think he can, especially with the frame that he has. He, he is a big cornerback. He has a really big body out there especially when you put him beside KJ Sales, but flat out, plain and simple, KJ Sales is the better cornerback. So missing them has been very, very tough. And I hope when we get both of those guys back, which I think you'll see against Virginia Tech, the secondary really improves. But I can't guarantee that, especially with how inconsistent our defense has been really throughout Larry Fedora's whole tenure at North Carolina. And while Carolina did have some turnovers in the second half, obviously Jeremiah Clark recovering a fumble that Malik Carney forced um, in the second half. And then 
Bryson Richardson with a nice interception that Miles Wolfolk was also a part of. Um, It was too little too late. I didn't necessarily think the defense played bad in the second half. I thought they, in the first half, like we've seen for most of the majority of the season, especially like we saw against Pitt, Carolina's defense struggled. It always seems to take them a little bit of time to get into the game. And it really seems like when they make second half adjustments at halftime, they play a lot better. But the fact of the matter was the fact that Carolina had Six turnovers really, really hurt this defense, especially since this defense in the first place isn't the best. I can't sugarcoat that, and I really just have to be honest with you. Carolina's defense is not a great elite defense, so when your offense is struggling, this defense is going to let up points, and unfortunately, that's what they did last night. Uh, Second biggest takeaway, catastrophic plays continue to haunt this team. Under Larry Fedor, Carolina has been known for giving up huge catastrophic plays 50 60 yard touchdown runs 50 60 plus yard receiving touchdowns big quarterback runs when you know quarterbacks contain and he sneaks out of the pocket and he ends up running for 20 30 yards and we saw that again last night Uh, there was plenty of times where Carolina let off big runs when they had Miami in good situations especially on Miami's first drive last night Miami receivers were just getting open for 10 15 yard catches like it was nothing and uh that's got to stop. That's got to stop from a defensive perspective. I'm not sure what Papuchas is doing. I'm not a football coach, so I don't necessarily know how you coach that. But that's got to be an emphasis in practice every single week. But unfortunately, over the past three, four seasons, Carolina has continuously given up big plays. I remember countless times last year, Carolina was just giving up huge plays downfield that not only kills momentum on your side, but builds momentum on the other side for the opposing offense. Carolina has to cut down on that because it's been a consistent theme for them. And the fact that it keeps happening over and over and over again shows me that this defensive coaching staff isn't sure how to really instill in this defense and how to cut out these catastrophic plays because it has killed Carolina. And it's going to continue to kill Carolina if they don't get it fixed. Third biggest takeaway from last night, the fact that Carolina's offense was so non-existent, especially in the passing game and especially with how many turnovers they had, that put way too much pressure on the defense to make something happen and make a stop over and over and over again. Carolina last night let up 24 points off of turnovers. So technically, the offense was responsible for 24 points. Two of those were pick sixes. One of those was a Nathan Elliott fumble that Miami picked up and ran into the end zone. And the other one was a turnover that Miami was able to get a field goal out of on the on the drive after that. So if you take away those 24 points, that puts the game at 23 to 10. And the fact of the matter is that you're in the ball game with that scoreline. That's only a two possession game. And Carolina's offense, if they weren't turning it over, would have had a chance to march downfield and make some things happen. But like I said earlier in the beginning of the podcast, if you have six turnovers, you're simply not going to win a football game. I don't care what level you're playing at. Middle school, Pop Warner, high school, Division two, II, Division three, Division one, Power five level football. If you have six turnovers, you're going to find it hard to win. So the offense this season specifically, and especially last night, has not helped the defense in any way. While I think the defense played all right, I think they can continue to improve. And I'm excited to see when they get the likes of Dorn back healthy, when they get the likes of KJ Sales back healthy, when they get Malik Carney back in the rotation a little more and used to playing consistent football. Obviously, he's been out with a suspension. 
Hopefully they'll get Simone Fox back from suspension in the next couple weeks. If Carolina can field a full defense like they did in the California game, I think you'll see this defense perform a lot better. But the fact of the matter is, in football and at the collegiate level, Carolina has enough talent on the defensive side, at least based on recruiting and how they've recruiting over the last few years, which we'll touch on in a second. They have enough talent on this team. It's got to be next man up. The guy, second string, third string, has to be ready to play. The problem is, Carolina is not an elite, elite program, so they don't have the second string and third string that can really compete against the likes of Miami's playmakers. So it's always going to be tough for them, but I am excited and am hopeful that when we get these players back, like Dorn, like Sales, this defense is going to play a lot better. But fingers crossed, you never know what's going to happen, especially with the defenses we've seen under Larry Fedor since he's come in to North Carolina. Now, Like I said, I was tweeting a lot last night about the game. I got a lot of good feedback that I really, really appreciate. And I think real quick, everybody for tuning into this podcast and and especially giving me all that feedback during the game last night. That was fun to see and it was fun to interact with Carolina fans everywhere. But I have to ask this question. I actually put a poll up last night and there was an overwhelming majority uh, of people saying they want Fedora out. I asked a question on Twitter last night if, if people wanted Fedora in or out. And I think it was over 80% voted Larry Fedora out as UNC football coach. Now, I'm not sitting here advocating for either side. I'm really just trying to play the middle right now. The fact of the matter is, though, Larry Fedora, I don't know if you guys remember the Duke loss in 2016 under Mitchell Trubisky. Carolina really started off that season well, and then after that, went 1-3 and three after that, including the Duke loss the rest of the season. Since that loss in 2016, Larry Fedora's team has a 5-15 and 15 record simply not good enough. It's not good enough at any level, high school, college, middle school, anything. It's just not. And Larry Fedor, since that day, I'm not sure what happened. I don't know why since that day, Carolina has only been able to win five games and has managed to lose 15. Obviously, a ton of injuries last year, which you can understand and which you can have a little bit of sympathy for. But the fact that Larry Fedor has only won five games in really a two-year span is just not good enough. And a few of those have come against Division One AA opponents, people that Carolina shouldn't even be playing in the first place. So also Larry Fedor has a 1-3 bowl game record since he's come in in 2012. Obviously Carolina was suspended from playing in a bowl game in 2012. But besides that, in those five years since, he has a 1-3 bowl record. So hasn't really had a good, really just an inexcusable bowl record. And Carolina's been in some bowl games playing against teams that they definitely should be beating. And one thing I think a lot of Carolina fans might not realize is the fact that Carolina's best season with Larry Fedora was in his first year in 2012 with the likes of Gio Bernard. Really solid season, obviously, the ACC Coastal Division champs, even though we were suspended from postseason, so technically not the ACC Coastal Division champs, but we did finish first in the Coastal that year. And in 2015, when Marquise Williams led North Carolina to the ACC Championship game, unfortunately, we're going in the bowl game to let up a record number of yards to a second-string Baylor quarterback. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of Fedora's success has come with players that Butch Davis and his coaching staff originally recruited. 2012 and 2015, 2012 was all Butch Davis recruits. In 2015, the core group of players for North Carolina were all initially recruited by Butch Davis and his coaching staff. So since Larry Fedora has got his full staff, or excuse me, since Larry Fedora has had a full reins on recruiting, Carolina has really struggled. And for the most part, besides the first half of Mitchell Trubisky's season in 2016, where, keep in mind, Carolina had a second-round draft pick at quarterback, North Carolina has gone 5-15 and since that Duke loss, like I mentioned earlier. Now, 
Looking at Larry Fedora's recruiting classes and recruiting rankings according to 247sports.com, since 2013, Larry Fedora has had seven recruiting classes since that time. 2013, North Carolina was ranked number 28. 2014, Carolina was ranked 30. 2015, North Carolina was ranked 28. 2016, North Carolina was ranked 32. 2017, North Carolina was ranked 29. 2018, North Carolina had a really good recruiting class coming in at the highest in the Larry Fedora era at number 20. And then this year, right now, Carolina's 2019 recruiting class is sitting at 62nd in the nation behind the likes of North Texas, Georgia Tech, countless ACC schools. North Carolina's recruiting class is at its all-time lowest since Larry Fedora has come in. Why is that? Obviously, it has a lot to do with the fact that Carolina only won three games last year. Um, one of those coming against a, an ACC opponent, a Division I caliber opponent. That's definitely going to hurt recruiting. But the fact that Carolina can jump from a number 20 recruiting class and drop 42 spots to number 62 right now is completely inexcusable, and it doesn't bode well for this program. Carolina's program is on a downward spiral right now, and you can't sugarcoat that. You can't lie to yourself and say it's not. The fact that Carolina has only won four games in the past two seasons is simply not good enough. However, I'm not sure right now if firing Larry Fedora is the right option. If Larry Fedora finishes this season winning two or three games, and I think he certainly has to go. And unfortunately, I'm not confident in North Carolina winning more than four games this season maximum. I think they'll definitely beat Western Carolina. I think they'll have some shots at beating Virginia. And I think potentially they could go up to Syracuse is looking good right now. Potentially beat them. I think they have also have a chance to beat Virginia Tech, especially coming off a of bye week. But I do not expect, unfortunately at this point, Carolina to get any more than four wins this season. So my overall take on the season is you never fire a coach in the middle of the year. We'll give Larry Fedora to the end of the season. If Carolina fails to make it to a bowl game, then I think it's the right time to make a coaching change. Now, one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest setbacks in firing Larry Fedora, if it comes down to that, is the fact that Carolina, when they gave Larry Fedora a contract extension after his really good season in 2015, they put a $14 million release clause in his contract. So if Carolina wants to get rid of Larry Fedora, they're going to have to pay that $14 million. Now, may not sound like a lot of money, especially for a big, big school like North Carolina, but the fact of the matter is $14 million is $14 million. And if we have to fork out $14 million to get Larry Fedora, you don't know what the athletic department wants to do. You don't know how the boosters feel about it. But I think at this point, Carolina would have no problem paying that money if this North Carolina team fails to get to a bowl game and fails to win six, seven games this season. But this is not the reason I wanted to come on this podcast. I, Like I said earlier, you have to continue to stick by these players. I don't care what your thoughts are on this coaching staff, on Larry Fedora specifically. Continue to support these players. Continue to pack Keenan Stadium out every Saturday and support this team. These players are North Carolina football players. You have to support them and you have to keep coming out no matter what the score is, no matter what their record is, and getting behind this team. So yeah, guys, unfortunately, not the podcast we wanted to have. I was hoping to come on today and and have a good discussion about a big Carolina victory down in Miami, but unfortunately... North Carolina suffered a 47-10 blowout loss to a really good Miami team. Obviously, going into the bye week, North Carolina's got to get regrouped. They've got to figure out the quarterback situation, and they've got to find guys that can make some plays on offense because right now, they're really lacking that. But over the next couple weeks, you'll be expecting a few more podcasts. Obviously, a bye week coming up. Going to try to get a couple podcasts out next week. Going to be discussing different things. Going to have a few guests on. And then the following week, really excited to have one of my good friends on who's a huge Virginia Tech fan. 
We're going to have a Virginia Tech preview and obviously a Virginia Tech review. So really excited with all the feedback I've gotten on this podcast. Really excited to see where this podcast continues to go. And as always, guys, I really appreciate everyone coming on here and listening. I appreciate any feedback you have. Um, If you want to be on this podcast, feel free to DM me on Twitter at Carolina Talk Pod. You can even send me an email at carolinatalkpod at gmail.com. Yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I want to have fans on this podcast because, like I said, the Carolina Talk Pod is by the fans for the fans. This is a fan podcast, and I want to represent this fan base in the best way possible. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. That'll do it for the Carolina Talk Pod today. I've been your host, Jacob Turner. Looking forward to coming back on here early next week sometime and discussing some more Carolina topics. Be sure to continue to support this team like I've said. And as always, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.